This is a special edition of Minnesota Native News, COVID-19 Community Conversations with host Leah Lem. COVID-19 Community Conversations is supported by a grant from the Minnesota Department of Health. Anine, hello, I'm Leah Lem. Miigwech and thank you for joining me for an in-depth conversation exploring how Indian country in Minnesota is responding and adapting to the current pandemic health crisis. Today on the show, we're thinking about how our gifts can be motivation to prioritize health, to get healthy, to stay healthy. Last week, we had a conversation about cancer, and today we'll hear how our guests learn to live life even more fully after facing the illness. And we're also starting a continued conversation about health and artistry. Art is popping up in many places, from posters, billboards, and social media messages, with the purpose of reminding us to take precautions to help the community and ourselves stay healthy. Remember that time you wished for that extra long weekend? Well, now you have it. But if there comes a time where you need to go out and get essential items, we need to do that safely. And the CDC now recommends that we wear a face mask when we go out. And we also need to wash our hands with soap and water for at least 20 seconds or more. And if we follow these simple rules, we'll be able to flatten the curve. That was a part of a message from Herb Finday, artist and owner of Round Lake Traditions, where Herb sews and creates really wonderful cultural clothing. He can be seen in the video sharing his dancing and a few different regalia. The American Indian Community Housing Organization, or ACO, in Duluth teamed up with Herb to create this video, which you can find online. The goal being to engage Native communities with COVID-19 info that's culturally relevant while weaving traditions and values throughout. And they have some really great stuff ongoing with artists at ACO. Last week, we talked about keeping up with health needs, even during the pandemic, including cancer screening, diagnosis, and treatment. We heard from the American Indian Cancer Foundation about cancer survival and the related needs during the pandemic. And now this week, we're talking to someone that ACAF got us in touch with, someone who's a cancer survivor and also an artist. Robert Desjardins is a Red Lake citizen, and he's also a Tuahe grant recipient who's making art inspired by resilience in response to COVID-19. And with me today, once again, is Melissa Townsend, who spoke to Robert Desjardins. Hi, Melissa. Hey there. How are you doing today? I'm hot, but I'm good. (laughs) (laughs) No matter what day this airs, it's going to be hot. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Seriously, I I cannot even imagine that we have such long winters in Minnesota, because at times like these, it just doesn't seem like it's even possible (laughs) that winter exists. (laughs) So, well, it's good to have you here again. And you spoke with me last week about your experience with cancer. And thank you so much for doing that. And this week you talked with Robert Desjardins. Yeah, and I really did have a great time talking with him. Partly because so much of our experience we held in common, you know, this idea that you have this health crisis and it really sort of puts you back and makes you think about where you're going. Um, So I really loved listening to him talk about how he experienced that and and how it how it changed his life. Yeah, it, he's such a great person. I he was my very first interview oh. for anything <laughs> radio related and I was just I was so shy, um but he was so great to talk to for that very first interview. So just want to 
make sure I give a shout out to him for that. Yes. So, yeah, why don't you introduce his interview for us? Sure. So, of course, Robert Desjardins is the child of Patrick Desjardins, who's a famous artist. And so as a child, that's how Robert learned how to draw. But as he grew up, he lost track of that gift. In his early 30s, he got sober and he got back to his art, doing drawing and watercolor. But then he had a heart attack. And then he had stage one cancer and then stage three cancer. Mm. You could say he's begun his life over a number of times. But he says all the really difficult stuff he had to go through was worth it for a second chance at living and getting back to his art. Great. Let's take a listen. How long have you identified as an artist? Probably most of my life. My dad was a famous Native American artist, considered to be one of the first modernists and Native American art. So he's basically my art teacher and showed me a lot of things when I was young. Cause I, I used to love to draw. And when he was at work during the day, I would, you know, go into the studio and do my drawings. But I, I didn't become active in art until uh, I was in my mid-30s, about 1983, 1984. And what was happening at that time that got you kind of re-involved in art or involved in art? Well, part of it is, you know, I used to be an alcoholic and drug user, and uh, I finally quit drinking and using in uh, 1982. That was through the encouragement of my my wife, Nanette. I really didn't know what I wanted to do at that point. I, I was about, I think I was around 34 years old, and uh, my wife belonged to a midwife group called uh, Women's Dance Health Project. And they had put out a calendar the previous year. They were going to do another one, and the artist for that left. So my wife, you know, she kept encouraging me to do the artwork. And I told her, I said, well, you know, I haven't drawn for years I don't think I can do it and but she kept on me to you know do the artwork and uh, there's another uh, woman in uh, in the group Marcy Rendon who's a well-known writer and poet uh, she was also encouraging me and so finally I, I gave in <laughs> I gave in and uh, uh, I did 11 illustrations and uh the illustrations I did, uh, you know, they weren't the greatest, but they, they kind of set the tone of what my art would become. And uh, those calendars were, calendars were distributed in several places in the Twin Cities, including two art galleries. And uh, they were both interested in my art. Also asked me if I would be interested in doing a one-man show a year later. So... I took them up on their offer, and I uh, did my work in watercolor. Uh, I mean, I, I never did watercolor before. It was the first time I was doing it. And I don't know how many pieces I came out came up with. It must have been about 20, 25 uh, watercolor paintings. And that was my first step into becoming an artist. Did you did you feel at that time that that was going to be a way that you could share your gifts with the community? 
Yes, I did. You know, in the mid-1980s, there was uh, a number of uh, Ojibwe artists emerging in Minnesota. So we had artists like Steve Primo and Jeff Chapman and several others, including myself. I, I felt my art was a little different in my subject matter. One of the uh, areas I focused in on was, was doing women in my art. You know, I, my father was obviously a very big influence in my art, and he did activities that were more current and contemporary, uh, activities that were once traditional and uh, were still a part of Ojibwe lifestyle. So he did fishing camps and wild rice camps and maple sugar camps. I wanted to show activities as they occurred like 150, 200 years ago, uh, going all the way back to the beginning, actually, before colonization. And so the, you know, I did people and activities that we were doing way back then. That's interesting. It feels like what you're saying is the Anishinaabe stories are the heart of your work. Were you always in touch with those stories, or have you been learning that in your, your elder years? There are things I've learned from elders and things I've learned from other people. Uh, very early in my art career, I, I read a lot of books. Uh, I was trying to find information about material culture, you know, how things were done. One example is uh, it was in my art show last year. There's a woman in a canoe, and she's going through uh, some cattails, and she's holding cattails, and she's pregnant, a mother-to-be. Uh, women would go out and pick those cattails, and uh, they would uh, take the moss out, and they would use it as, uh, I don't know how she could describe it, but as a traditional-type diaper. Mm. Uh, it, they would stuff that into the baby's loincloth, and then once the baby soiled it, they would toss it away and uh, replace it. So just, you know, in that scene alone, uh, there was uh, not just a, a very nice painting, but it told this whole story about what cattails were used for. Oh, that's so interesting. <laughs> and then... Um how old were you when, I hope this isn't too personal, but how old were you when you were diagnosed with cancer? Probably, <laughs> I think 66, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm 73 now and I'll be 74 in November. But I have to back it up four months because I had a heart attack at a powwow because I'm a dancer. It's just kind of ironic that I had a, a heart attack at a powwow and that was on Thanksgiving. So then four months later, 2013, I, um, I wasn't feeling good. And uh, I mean, I, I knew what it was even before I saw the doctor. I was afraid to go in because, again, I knew what it was. And my father, he died from stomach cancer in 1972. So our family always had this fear of cancer. But I... I went in, you know, I had to, I, I mean, I had to think about my family. And so when the doctor said, well, um, are you willing to see a specialist? I said, yes. And, and that's when I knew it was serious. So 
the, the cancer is in my colon. It was classified as stage one, which was great because it meant that I didn't have to have uh, chemotherapy. But uh, I was considered high risk, so they had me go back every year for a annual CAT scan and blood work. And oh, what happens is they give you this five-year timeline. So if you, if you get through five years of CAT scans and they find you NED, no evidence of disease, at the end of that five years, they declare you cancer-free. So that's what the goal is. That's what the goal is for every cancer patient is to get through that five years. And, but then in my third year, they found a small tumor on the left lobe of my liver. This time was more serious. So this time around, <clears throat> I went through 16 rounds of chemotherapy. I was uh, in surgery for nine hours. And that was, you know, that was pretty heavy duty stuff I went through. I lost all my hair, uh, lost all my body hair, my head hair. I lost my goatee, went through a lot of nausea. <clears throat> I mean, I, I went the full nine yards when it came to chemo. Yeah. How were you feeling emotionally at that time? I mean, were you pretty down? You know, I, I just... I just got through it. I mean, I, I wasn't uh, I wasn't depressed or anything like that. Uh, I mean, I, I felt I was being uh, a, a given a second chance at life, you know. And uh, the chemo was part of the price I had to pay for it. And uh, to me, it, you know, it's been worth it because uh, it brought me back to my art. Hmm. That's incredible. It's, I'm so glad he's, you know, healthier and has been brought back to his art. You know, what a gift to share. Yeah, for sure. I think that really took me back when he said that, you know, I had cancer and I didn't go through chemo or radiation. I just did two surgeries and I was okay. I am okay so far. Um, but I felt sorry for myself the whole time. <laughs> I was like, how did this happen? Why did this happen? What is happening? Um, and, you know, maybe he had those moments, but just his clarity of like, this is what I have to do in order to get to the next place. I just really admired that. And I, I hope to, um, I hope to adopt that, frankly, for myself, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, you, you, using his gift to help stay healthy and, using health as a motivator to use his gift. I mean, what a cool cycle, right, of health. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and I loved when he talked about uh, the art he saw with a woman pointing at the cattails. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> with the traditional way of creating a baby's diaper. Yes. You know, just this historical remembrance of, you know, culture and tradition. It's pretty neat. Yeah super interesting. Oh, and I also want to give a shout out to his wife for being so encouraging. <laughs> we all need that from time to time. <laughs> we all need our people. Yeah. 
You're listening to a special edition of Minnesota Native News, COVID-19 Community Conversations. COVID-19 Community Conversations is supported by the Minnesota Department of Health. I'm Leah Lem. Today we're listening to a conversation between Robert Desjardins and our very own Melissa Townsend, who's a reporter and ally. And we are talking about art and health. So Melissa, can you introduce the second part of the interview? So after dealing with cancer for about five or six years, Robert picked up his artwork again in 2018. Um, He wasn't sure if he was even going to be able to do it, but he's currently preparing for a show at the Echo Gallery with 29 paintings. Wow. 29 paintings is a lot. Exactly. (laughs) That's awesome. And one of the pieces he's... um, creating is focused on COVID-19. Great. Let's get back to Robert Desjardins. When you picked up uh, the artwork again a year ago, uh, how did it feel to get back to it? It felt really good. I mean, one thing, I I didn't know if I could still do it. That that was the big thing. I mean, I was much older, like I said, uh, 73 years old. And so I didn't know if I still had my skills and my abilities uh, to do art. But once I started painting again, it just came out so easy. It just flowed right out. I mean, I couldn't believe some of the imagery I was coming up with. A lot of times I'd I'd wake up in the morning and I'd have an image in my head, get to my drawing table and start sketching it out. Some of the paintings I dreamed about and I would hop out of bed and start sketching. And then uh, transition those into paintings. Looking at my artwork now, compared to the mid-1980s, I think my artwork has really matured. I think I show a lot of confidence in what I'm doing. You can see it in my artwork. Maybe because I hadn't painted for so long, it just kind of built up inside of me. And I was just waiting for that opportunity to come along to start painting. Now that, um, you know, COVID-19 is such an issue, uh, is that affecting uh, what you're doing in terms of being cautious or, um, yeah, how is that affecting what you're able to do these days? You know, I I do take a lot of precautions. I mean, I have a compromised immune system, have high blood pressure, so I have to be careful. Uh, Yeah. When I first came out about masks, I wasn't too sure about masks. I mean, I I, I did wear a mask when I was going through chemo, uh, when I went out in public. But as the pandemic increased and, and whatnot, I you know, began wearing masks wherever I went and washing my hands. Uh, in some ways, it's been easy for me because I do live a semi-isolated life. I mean, I'm an artist. So I sit home at all day doing artwork. So it's not that hard for me not to go out. But, you know, I do go out. I have visited uh, uh, members of my family, my children, gone into the Twin Cities a couple of times. And, then, you know, there's things I have to go to the stores for. And but I try to be real careful about uh, where I go and take whatever precautions I need to. And also... COVID ties into my art here because I was just a grant from the Wahi Foundation. So they're asking for the artists that were selected uh, to submit a work that conveys the theme of COVID. Oh. 
so uh, I did a, a work that's uh, on one hand related to my art, but it's also related to uh, the pandemic. Could you, would you mind telling me a little bit about that work? The title right now is Protector. I have to find the Ojibwe word for protector, though. Uh, the word doesn't exist. I'm hoping I can find a language teacher that can help me. Uh, and it shows a healthcare provider, and she's wearing a floral face mask. She's in profile. Basically, I show the head and the hands. She has long braids, but then there's an indication of her shoulder, and and that's colored the same color as uh, what they call it, scrubs, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. what they wear. So this is uh, kind of really a nice blue. So that clues you in that this is a healthcare provider. She's holding her left hand up, and she has tobacco. And then right above her, and this is another kind of icon that appears in my artwork, um, there's, there's a bald eagle hovering overhead looking down at her. And so she's offering the same amount of tobacco to the ego, and the ego is the messenger that takes the curse to the creator. So that's what's being said in that painting. Uh, usually with my art, I do sometimes make statements about something current. Um, being that we're going through the pandemic, you know, I felt I had to say something, and that's the drawing I woke up with one day. You know, and I got to my drawing board and drew it out and then painted it. Uh, and right now I'm working on my last artwork for the art show. And this one revolves around the theme of uh, George Floyd. I want to make some kind of connection through art to what happened. It's, it's uh, kind of a companion piece to my COVID piece. This one's also in a circle, the same size. And this shows a woman... Uh, she has a small shell in her hand that has sage in it. On the other hand, she has an eagle feather, and she has her head lifted up with her eyes closed. And in the background is the mural of George Floyd that they have down on uh, 38th in Chicago. And then hovering overhead is a is a dove, a white dove. Uh, do you you know I've talked with a number of people who feel like. This is a very important moment in history, what's happening right now. I was talking with Missy Whiteman the other day who was saying, people are saying this is the time of the phoenix. Do you have thoughts on that or are you feeling something about that? Well, what I look at, we have our seven fires prophecy and it's, said that during the time of the seventh fire, a new people will emerge and they'll go back and look at the mistakes that happened in the past. They'll go to elders to regain the knowledge that they lost. And from that, they'll reshape the world and they'll light the eighth and final fire. It will be the time when everybody regardless of race, will come together. But people can also get lost on the path to the seventh fire, and they can turn to more destructive ways. There's going to be a point where either the new people will emerge and their beliefs will become incorporated into our society, or the other people who choose not to follow that kind of path will overcome that 
and we just go back into time of darkness. I see this as a time of the seventh fire, and we have choices to make. And one of the important things about the seventh fire, if we're in the Shinabe, you know, part of our responsibilities are to teach other people about our way of life, about our seven principles, and some of our practices. This isn't necessarily just help our own people, but also helping black people and white people and Asian people try to understand about the path that we have. You know, there's a lot of different tribal prophecies right now that are in play. You know, we're seeing certain changes going on with the social unrest uh, uh, that can lead to bigger change. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he brings up such great topics there, like the how, and it just really points to the significance of art. You know, sometimes it's so frustrating when you see art programs being cut or, you know, the jokes that art isn't real profession. Like, it's just absurd to think that. I mean, what he's talking about is so, so wonderfully sophisticated and nuanced. I totally agree, you know, and when he was talking about this work he was creating that was about COVID, and then he started describing this woman who's in scrubs. And I was like, oh, <laughs> I don't know. I was thinking it would be something much more sort of metaphysical. And, but there it is. Like it's, you know, it's just very, um, it's both inspired and pragmatic at the same time, you know. And I just really like the way he envisioned that. I thought that was interesting. There's this other part too that he does is when he's creating a painting, he starts out, of course, with like a drawing and he puts it on Facebook every step of the way. So every stage of this painting from, from one line all the way to the finished product, you can watch it on Facebook. Facebook, which is kind of cool. So there's that Ooh. option for everybody. <clears throat> oh, that's really wonderful. And, you know, he touched on things we talked about last time, like um, making sure to be extremely safe now during the pandemic um, with having had a compromised immune system, being a survivor yeah. of cancer. So it's a good reminder for all of us to make sure that we practice our safe pandemic habits that we're so used to doing right now. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. You know, it reminds me too of what Sharon Day said about sometimes you need a reason, like identify that reason that will motivate you to do the things you knew to be healthy. And if it's not your own life, perhaps it's a life of a child or a grandchild or a niece or a nephew. Um, and for him, I think, you know, I'm sure there's lots of reasons. His wife sounds pretty dynamite, but <laughs> it's also his art. Um, so I really love that, you know, as sick as we are of wearing a mask and all of that, find that reason I to know. do it. Yeah. Especially right now when it's so hot. You know, yes. Wearing a mask is oof. But, yeah. you know, it's better than yeah. breathing heavy all over everything because that's all that I'm doing in the heat. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, we got to yeah. make sure we're mindful. So that's really great. Well, thanks, Melissa, for chatting with me today and bringing Robert Desjolais' voice to the conversation. That was really great to hear from him. It was so my pleasure to talk with him. It was a real gift. Next week, we'll continue our conversation about artistic creation during the pandemic. I'll be speaking with poet and actress Isabella Starr LeBlanc about an upcoming project she's doing inspired by resiliency during the pandemic. And we'll also talk about how her work in theater has been affected. I just really love hearing about people finding or reconnecting to their gifts 
because using our gifts helps all of us, the person and our community. That's next time. Chimigwech for listening today. I'm Leah Lem. Thank you, Miigwech, and I wish you health. Minnesota Native News Special Edition COVID-19 Community Conversations is supported by the Minnesota Department of Health. <laughs>